You're listening to The Big Lift, the podcast of WebTrends Optimize, the CRO solution that enables marketers and developers to maximize the ROI on their digital properties. WebTrends Optimize is a powerful, feature-rich, and easy-to-use solution, all delivered within a fixed-price contract with no additional cost for increased functionality ever. During these podcasts, we meet some of the key influencers within the marketing and conversion world to understand their roles and examine their challenges. Over the last few months, we've seen dramatic changes in consumer behaviour, due in the main to the financial climate. Increased prices across the board have meant companies are having to work harder to retain their sales figures. So, is customer experience still as important as it was before the economic crisis? I'm talking with Tim Williams, Planning Director at Agency 440, who believe that customers shape brand futures. So, should brands be now doubling down on their efforts to improve their customer engagement? Tim, you're the Planning Director for a company called 440, and I believe one of its taglines is Behaviour Change Experts. Could you give me a little bit about what it does and what's a Planning Director? Um Basically, what we do is help clients with any customer-related challenge, whether that be acquiring them, keeping them, or growing them. Um, And that obviously covers a very broad church of activities from traditional marketing through to what was now known as CRM, which is effectively uh, communications uh, or segmented communications over the course of a customer lifecycle. But increasingly, we're involved in broader customer experience challenges in terms of understanding from um, an end-to-end perspective across multiple channels um, how well a client is uh, meeting expectations of their customers, uh, what's good, what's bad, what are the moments of truth, what insights can we derive from talking to customers or, or listening to their feedback, for example, and how can that be used to make improvements, essentially, where or targeted improvements where, where they're going to have the most impact. The, the ultimate aim, of course, being to ensure that customers are, are happy to come back to that customer, to that client and their their experience yeah, meets their, their needs and they say nice things about it. So essentially, <laughs> it's, it's that. I mean, and obviously that varies infinitely for every single client situation. Uh, no two engagements are the same which is great because uh, you know no two days are the same and you, and you get exposure to a, a number of very different brands and understand from the inside out what their challenges are understand very different groups of customers sometimes that we've never never worked with in the past and that's always a good good uh, experience and from a planning point of view that that's basically a fancy word for <laughs> understanding how to apply insights to practical communications and activities uh, so how do you best ensure that the experience that you deliver, whether that's a, a communication experience or a, an actual product or service experience, is aligned to who your audience is, their, the demographic profile, their occasion, you know, why they're there today, their expectations, their needs and motivations, etc. So nothing major, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, but it is a, a, it's a fascinating uh, profession. It's, it seems like it's predominantly digital, is that correct? Um, it feels that way, especially these days, though I've always argued that to talk in terms of digital versus in real life is a bit of a false 
dichotomy, to use a fancy <laughs> word, you know, because I think increasingly the the boundaries are blurred. Uh, and you know, if, if you were to look at your own in de- um, a day in the life of your own experience of working with brands and how you see advertising or engage with them, or whether it's through the internet or TV or via call somebody on the call center for example you'll find yourself moving from digital to real life and back again all the time so i think whilst whilst brands and agencies typically think think like to think in terms of themselves being a digital agency for example that the customer doesn't you know they they, they don't think in, in quite the same way that and if i have a an online purchase experience for example then i need to take that the product i buy back for a return i go into a store to do it then you can see how it's a blend of, of different touch points and the, the customer doesn't make that distinction between the two. And I think that's one of the big challenges of customer experience is to recognize that um, it's not about putting the experience into neat boxes uh, because people are not n- linear and neat. Uh, they're, they're more complex and messy. That's true. Um, but that's again, that's part of the, of the, of the fun of this job, I suppose, is, is recognizing that it's not, predictable and neat and you have to understand the what ifs and the, uh, the, the what, what they call in the trade the use cases you know the, the occasions or the scenarios in which things may not work in quite the way the brand would ideally like it to work but it's how a customer wants it to work and um, from a customer experience point of view and customer service point of view you know we, we increasingly see I guess a push from brands to digital channels to get people to self-serve whether that be to uh, perform an action online by logging into their account or interacting with a chatbot, for example, which is fine when that works well and you don't have uh, an unusual or complex request or need. It doesn't work so well when you do have a complex request or need, uh, and it can be quite frustrating uh, to, to a customer if all I want to do is speak to British Gas about the fact that I can't submit a meter reading on their website anymore and you end up going around in loops or on or on hold for hours or talking to a chat bot that doesn't quite understand your query etc etc so the short answer to your question is <laughs> was um, that short <laughs> is um it increasingly digital is plays an important part but i, th- I see part of my job is to is to not forget the the, the reality which is it's not just digital. It can't just be digital in most situations. You have to think about the experience in the round. So that brings me on to one of my personal frustrations is that there seems to be less and less human interaction. Mm. And it's almost a thing of the past now to actually speak to a human being. Look at the majority of websites. There's very, very few telephone numbers on there. It becomes very frustrating, especially Mm. if you've got a problem where your, I suppose your anticipation levels are high anyway, that you want to get something sorted. And there seems to be an imbalance between company efficiency versus customer satisfaction. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a way of being able to understand why is it that more and more companies are just thinking about themselves and their interaction with a client as being functional rather than being an experience? Yeah, you, I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking that many customer service departments, that the, the primary role is to avoid contacting customers uh, because they default to saying, you know, you ring up and they say, well, you, you can 
go to our website and probably complete the task that you've called up for online or use our chatbot, et cetera, which obviously if I could do that, I would have done it. <laughs> I know yeah. nobody likes calling up a call center because it's, <laughs> it's, 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 if you can do it yourself. One of the great mysteries, I suppose, of the whole customer experience industry at the moment is that depending on which figures you believe, uh, you know, billions of pounds and dollars are spent on so-called customer technology. Yeah. Um, and that begs the question, well, quite what do we mean by customer technology? Is it CRM systems? Is it call center routing systems? Is it algorithm-driven, AI-driven chatbots, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's all of those things. Yeah. Um, so lots of money is being spent by brands and by big consultancies and so forth to invest in in the tech. But if you were to look at virtually any of the metrics in terms of overall satisfaction levels with brands or trust in brands and trust in companies, et cetera, uh, at best it's pretty flat. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem to make a huge impact in terms of I've just spent a million pounds on this fantastic new piece of technology. Why aren't my customers happy? And I think the Because you don't part talk to re- them. <laughs> well quite yeah. I think part of the reason is that a lot of that technology, and I'm speaking very generally here, so um, um, I know that there will be exceptions to this, but it does seem that a lot of the technology that is labeled as being customer-centric is actually quite the opposite. It's about driving efficiencies and cost savings. Mm-hmm. It's about saying you can reduce the headcount in your call center by X if you invest in this in this uh, particular piece of AI technology because that will allow you to um, uh, solve customer queries that were in the past going to a call center or or, in, or even in store by by this wonderful piece of of digital kit. Now, I think. The from our own research into this space, there is a uh, you get con- conflicting evidence. In some instances, that technology is great. Uh, we did we did some research with Leeds University a couple of years ago on uh, the airline sector, and what we found there is that when we asked the question about how does digital technology affect customer trust in in airline brands, we were getting mixed messages. On the one hand, uh, people were saying, when it comes to things like being able to book online or check check in online or look at look at apps, for example, that allow you to see where your plane is in real time mm-hmm. uh, and which gate you need to go to and so forth. That's great. People love that. When it, when it works uh, and it works well, it adds to the fluency of the experience and it's, it's a positive. But on the other hand, when there's a problem or some anomalous situation creeps in, and we've seen this this year, um, in in uh, has, has been a major issue where there have been delays, for example, and lack of staff on the ground, mm-hmm. baggage handling delays, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that's when the technology doesn't seem to be in place to address those, if you like, edge case scenarios, yeah. um, and that's when you need the human interaction, the human touch to say, well, look, my plane's been delayed or cancelled at the last minute. Um, I mean, this happened to me a few years ago, oddly enough, I won't mention the airline, but I had a a meeting with them uh, at their head office. And during that meeting, we were talking about the whole issue of delays. Uh, And lo and behold, when I was flying back to London after, after that session, end of the, it was the last flight of the day uh, and it got cancelled at the very last minute. So, and with, you know, 10 minutes to go, gate was closed, nobody was around, the, the airport was effectively closing for the night. There was nobody to say, well, what, what do I do now? How do I, how do I get home? 
and in that situation it seems as if there's a you know, the, the 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 brand is heading for the hills there is no digital solution um, but what you really want is just someone to talk to to say okay what yeah. do i do now how do i you know, do I, how do i make a claim to get my money back how do i organize alternative transport or hotel etc but if you left your own devices and you, and it feels it's not just being left to your own devices, but be, feeling that the brand doesn't care yes. or is, is actively trying to avoid you and and they, they, they've scarpered, um, that leaves a very negative taste in, in in the mouth of the customer. And there's a there's a thing in behavioral economics called the peak end rule, which effectively means that you the the memory that's most vivid for you from any experience is the you know the the strongest. The one you remember most is the strongest and the last one. So the ideal is that you make your last experience, your last memory of a brand interaction, a positive one. And if, if you do that, what happened beforehand can get erased. But I think it's very much the case that the technology, when it works, it's great, but you can't rely on that 100%. You've got to have some flexibility and, and some fat in the system that allows people to to talk to people because there is a kind of a, a removal of agency that, that comes into play that people feel they're being pushed through a, a system through a process a, uh, a conveyor belt of, a, of an experience particularly in the airline industry where it feels very much that you're you have no control over what what's going on and that's it's particularly in those sorts of situations where a friendly smiling helpful person makes all the difference we, we talk about customer service, customer experience, whatever it might be. I'm not sure whether there is or there isn't or I haven't found one yet, a definition of what mm. customer service is. We all kind of know and hope what we believe it is, is to having a great experience from soup to nuts, as the Americans call it, from the very beginning of your interaction to the very end. Yep. We all kind of know what bad customer service is, mm. but good customer service, I don't think, has a definition. So... When you're working with clients, does it mean that you actually have to understand their definition of customer service? And do you often or occasionally have to re-engineer what that actually is? I, I think the, the language people use is very telling. And if you were to ask the question of a client, what do you mean by customer service? that would The answer they give would be very telling about the sort of organization they come from. And I suppose the, you know, the traditional definition of customer service is that it's a department. It's a function that's a, <laughs> yeah. a, a separate call center somewhere or office that's hidden away. Right. Uh, a bit like the, the old TV advert for Carlsberg uh, customer service department, which was a, a broom cupboard with a phone <laughs> that was co covered in cobwebs. And it, you know, it rang once and the, the cleaner opens the door and think, well, what's in here? What's this phone? And he answers the phone and says, oh, sorry, wrong number. <laughs> um, so for, for many people, customer service is a, is a bit of a, uh, and some we need to have, but we'd rather not have it because it's a cost and it's for dealing with problems where things go wrong. And ideally we'd want to not, you know, have as few people as possible call in because that's not very efficient for us as a brand. And I, th I think that's one of the challenges, actually, because most people perceive customer experience or customer service as a cost. Yes. And one of the things that I, I think of that there must be a way to actually monetize good customer service. I don't know whether you've come across it yet, but it's very difficult to equate it into pounds, shillings and pence. It's yeah. much easier to be able to say, oh, well, we've got, got this, but we need to reduce our costs. 
Yes, I, I mean, I think it's easier to think in terms of of uh, the opposite of return on investment, which is the uh, the the, co- the cost of not having a or the cost of having a bad experience, because we can all think in terms of if you have a terrible experience of a brand, uh, you're unlikely to want to use them again. If you have a great experience of a brand, that may or may not alter your future behaviour. You, you know, you you may have. Uh, use, you may use them again regardless if it was an okay experience as opposed to a great experience. Um, and you could argue, well, in that case, the argument is, do you just deliver the bare minimum uh, that you can get away with and, and not over-deliver? And I think there is, an, uh, there is a, a, a valid commercial point here about the fact that customer service and customer experience is not about gold plating every aspect of the experience it's about understanding where to focus that investment at the key the key moments the key interactions and touch points uh, and, and sometimes even the key audience segments that that might be more valuable to you and say well actually this group of people because they are frequent flyers or because they spend more on average than everyone else they would there is an argument for over investing in in their experience i'll give you i'll give an example here actually because i was fortunate enough to fly a lot a lot of the time and i became a um, gold card holder on a particular airline and Mm. every time i'd go there and i'd I'd ask for an upgrade never ever ever got an upgrade Mm And one day I was just sitting with somebody who, who happened to work for this particular airline um, next to me. And he said, well, we, you've never get, never get an upgrade because you're at the highest level. We don't need to give you an upgrade. Mm. And I kind of mm. thought, well, that's a really telling remark to be able to say, why is it that the customers who are obviously spending a lot of money with you as a, as a, as a brand are being treated in the fact that you're now in this box. And I do yep. appreciate that there is the inverse of that, the way you get treated like royalty and first-class lounges and all that sort of thing. But it's just the perception of people who say, well, I don't need to bother because you're already there. Hmm. Yep. Do, you think that, do you think that permeates down into, into other brands? I think it, I think it can do. Yes. Um, I mean, with, with loyalty programs, um, which I know is a whole subject in its own yeah. right. Um, we'll set you know, an, aside a, another hour for that one. <laughs> in, at least, at least. Yes. Um, I think the question you have to ask there is, is what, what do you want the loyalty program to do? Is it to reward customers who are already behaving in the way you want? So if you're a gold member, for example, you know, you've reached the, the highest level of, um, of uh, what the experience could be. Therefore, they don't necessarily need to incentivize you to behave differently. Whereas for other people, it's about saying, well, if I give you this extra piece of incentive, will that change your behavior in our favor as a brand that you will you will book us next time as well? In which case, the idea is that you are buying loyalty effectively as opposed to earning it. And I, and I think that that's what I think you're alluding to there is that some brands are saying, okay, because you have historically been a good customer, we're going to recognize that fact and reward you and give you these unexpected bonuses and surprises mm-hmm. and a surprise and delight me because I wasn't expecting that upgrade, but you're recognizing that I've been a good customer in the past. Therefore, you feel you know not a sense of entitlement to that, but you feel great as a result of, of receiving it. And that might be argue, arguably that's a way of really reinforcing that customer's loyalty because they not only have a tra- have a transactional element to it but an emotional one to it whereas if the purpose and i'm thinking here of you know, store loyalty cards for example 
if the purpose of those is to get you to buy more than you would have done otherwise or buy more frequently or, or choose that brand over the, the competitor over the road, then yes, that works. And things like you know, Club Card and Nectar are very good at, uh, I mean, I know they have other, other purposes behind them in terms of data collection, but as, as, as far as offering me, uh, for example, targeted or tailored offers and special prices, I think club card do this at the moment where you get a, mm-hmm. a club card price as opposed to an, a non-club card price and that's a very visible benefit that the customer can see for why you should why you should go there and not somewhere else but it feels very transactional and very almost quite cynical because you know well actually yes if tesco's can do this and offer me that loaf of bread at 20p less because i'm using the club card well can't sainsbury's do the same thing and if they and and it's 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 a short-term type of, of loyalty in, in the sense that, yes, it's changed your behavior there and then, but it's, it's a very transactional thing. It's, it's very uh, rational, but it's not the same kind of deep, warm, fuzzy feeling you might get if, if, you, if you're given a sense of surprise and delight. Um, and that, that, I think, is uh, there's, a, there's a term by a book called Jonah Berger, I think it is, um, about called Contagious, um, in which he talks about how to create more loyal interactions and how to how to get people to be stickier in terms of their mm-hmm. uh, the relationship with the brand and one of the, one of the techniques he talks about there is sort of variable rewards i you don't know what you're going to get or if, or if you're going to get anything as a result of being a customer but it's the surprises it's the little bonuses it's the uh if you like the scratch card mentality that says you know i've, yeah. I've got no idea if i spend two pound on this scratch card if i'll get nothing or i'll or i'll win fifty thousand pounds and it's that kind of sense of feeling that you're being recognized or there's there's not there's a possibility of something great happening that that creates a more of an emotional attachment as opposed to a um purely transactional one so i think yeah loyalty is a is a a complex uh beast and it's different models work for different brands i think is is the short answer to to a side of that um i noticed on your linkedin and i had already commented on a previous podcast john lewis removing its never knowingly Mm. undersold moniker do you think that's going to have a positive effect as they hope it is, or do you think it's going to have a negative effect? I know at the time there was a lot of outcry about that in terms of um, what, what on earth they're doing. They've had that for about 100 years as, as their, their, core, their core promise, uh, as it were. Did it make a difference? Probably not, frankly, because I don't think, I don't think people shop at John Lewis because it's cheaper. No, they, they, I probably they, agree they, with that. because it's not, frankly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the 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 it, I've never felt it's a particularly value-driven, uh, price-driven experience. But they shop at John Lewis for the for the experience, for the um, the customer service element, which is more of a in a lesser department, more of a a mindset uh, mm-hmm. for, for them. So it, yeah, it may well be that it, it's a smart move because they're moving the. Uh, narrative away from price to experience now whether that's a good thing in in the current climate with the cost of living crisis uh, remains to be seen but um, I think their their audience frankly you know their their core loyal audience was never really that fussed about the price I would argue so one of the questions that, that I've got here is is price or does price trump customer loyalty 
Yes and no. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I th- well, I, th- I think it depends. I mean, it, it obviously depends on yeah. the price sensitivity of the audience you're talking about, the nature of the product and brand. If it's a tin of Heinz beans and you're paying one pound in Waitrose and 50p in Morrison's, then on a like-for-like comparison basis, then price clearly doesn't matter. Yeah. If it's a holiday you're booking and you say, okay, well, my choice is a, I don't know, a um, two-star uh, bed and breakfast hotel in a Bulgarian ski resort, as opposed to a self-catered uh, or also a catered, uh, fully catered chalet in Verbier, then for some people, the experience absolutely outweighs the price. Um, so it kind of, it comes back to what is the expectation and the need state of the customer at that point. And that's why it's, 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 it's a big variable for, for some people you will choose talking of airlines again, you will choose the, the carrier based on convenience. Number one, others will choose it based on price point and they'll, they will be happy, happy to get up at four in the morning to trek to the other side of the country to get, you know, to spend, to save 50 quid on the, on the cost of a, of a, of a ticket. For other people, it's no, I, I want to travel during the middle of the day from a sensible airport and I'm prepared to pay a bit more for the, for the privilege of having an in-flight snack. So it's, it's not, I think, about the, to, to say that any one brand should go over price over experience. I think because it, it, it depends on who it is you are talking to, who, who is your audience and what matters most to them. And if in, in, if in the case of John Lewis's core audience, uh, there are some people who will, never feel that it's for them because it's you know they could probably get similar products for a cheaper price um and if, if price is what counts most and increasingly for many people now that is the case then that does trump experience but for others the experience trumps the price difference so the answer depends on who the audience is and the nature of the uh, product or service that they are um they're considering so, so no simple answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> so just to extend that a little bit, if price has a bearing on customer service, you know, it's some people will say, well, I'm prepared to pay more and other people say I'm going to pay less. In your discussions with companies, does price determine the level of customer service that's offered? So if you're a low cost airline, no frills is the kind of the tagline they've used. It would seem that that no frills also means no customer service. Yes, uh, or the definition, I mean, I guess it depends on how they would define customer service because, uh, again, with w- when we looked at uh, the airline sector from a um, customer trust perspective, the, the key finding there is that you could, I mean, arguably you could say Ryanair is a more trusted brand than British Airways. And most people will respond to that with horror and think, what, what on earth do you mean? How can that possibly be the case? But the rationale being is, is this, is that Ryanair's expectation, my expectation of Ryanair is pretty low to begin with. You know, I don't expect uh, anything from them other than that they're going to get me from A to B eventually um, <laughs> and hopefully in one piece. Um, and I'm making a, you know, a conscious decision, uh, a, an informed choice to go with them because I know there's probably going to be something that goes wrong, but at least I'm saving 100 quid on, on, on the ticket. Whereas with a, a, a British Airways or Singapore Airlines, for example, if something goes wrong with them, and your expectation to begin with is much higher. So when you're disappointed in a brand, 
that disappointment is far more accentuated that if your expectation was high to begin with. So if you consider that trust is about meeting expectations, based on that argument, a, um, a, a problem with BA is worse in terms of, of damaging trust than a problem with Ryanair, because with Ryanair, frankly, you never had much trust in the first place. So I think that that's a way to, to, to frame that way of thinking about it. But with British Airways, I think trust would be easier to be re-established hmm. than with Ryanair in your example, if they do things better the next time. If there is a next time, and, and I think that's the point, is that you you hear many stories of people saying, I'll never fly with them again because last time I did, my experience was, was so much worse than what I expected it to be. I expected better of British Airways. Those are the sorts of terms that people use. So, yes, they, they arguably have a better chance to re- recover trust. Um, and a big opportunity to recover trust. And, and I think there's, um, there is an argument that I think was first put, put out by Fred Reicheld, the, the, the guy who was behind Net Promoter, who said that if you have a problem as, as a brand and you resolve that problem really well, then the, the satisfaction level of, of that customer is greater than it would have been had they never had a problem in the first place. So I think one of the, the tricks that many brands fail to pick up on is that if, if, if you've had a really bad flurry of customer service problems, um, what you shouldn't do is pretend they never happened or run away from it. What you should do is actually actually lean into it and say, look, yeah, yeah we messed up there. We're really sorry. What we're going to do to make up for it is X, Y, Z. And doing that would actually have a far more positive, uh, from a sort of peak end perspective, uh, impact on those customers and if they just brushed it under the carpet and said okay well we'll, we'll make it difficult for you to claim compensation or get through on to the call center uh, all that does is exacerbate the frustration and the disappointment that they would feel in that brand so yes they do have a bigger opportunity to invest to reinvest in that win- winning back that customer's uh, loyalty and satisfaction and trust question is do they choose to do it um, which i think is uh uh, an interesting uh, debate at the moment is in terms of can they afford to do that but longer from a longer term loyalty point of view that's how you have, that's how you win people back does today's cost of living crisis exacerbate customer expectations i don't well in terms of making them higher or well wanting to feel that they're on their side yeah i see what you mean yes um i think it accentuates the point that people want, I think customers want to choose brands that they feel some kind of an affinity to, or that they are on their on their side, as it were. So you know, they they are genuinely looking out for their customers. They're not just looking to to maximise profits. Um, and if you th- if you think about, uh, I mean, think think of the the oil sector at the moment, petrol petrol companies who um, if, if the price of crude is, has decreased by 10p a litre, but the price of the pump hasn't. And that immediately creates this very cynical uh, view in, from the point of view of all customers about the whole industry that says, no, they, they are solely looking out to, to, max, to maximise profit. And I don't believe them when they talk about being customer centric or anything like that. They're the classic big, big bad oil company that's purely there for short term uh, uh, price gouging and prof- profiteering. Whereas other brands, I think, are waking up to the fact that they need, if, if, they, if they want to be, to achieve loyalty, 
uh, they've got to kind of play the role of a hero to some extent rather than an adversary. So if, if you're seen to be on the side of your customer, i.e. You, you, you understand them, you get them, you understand their concerns and anxieties, et cetera, and you have got some kind of practical solutions in place. Uh, so for example, if you're a, um, a subscription management type business, so you're, 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 you're selling um, dig, uh, digital streaming services or a publishing subscription of some sort, they're the, they're the first types of brands to be hit during a, a downturn. Mm-hmm. I think after after pubs and restaurants, uh, so people cut back. You know, they, they see their direct debits going out every month, and they think, "Oh, I can, I can cut back on that subscription to the Economist or whatever because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a luxury." So, if they were more creative in offering solutions to that, in terms of, well, you can you can have a, a uh, put put your subscription on pause for three months. Or offering you uh, cheaper alternatives or lighter versions, et cetera, et cetera. You know, understanding that it's not just a binary, you're, you're either a customer or not. And if you can't afford it, go away. But, but creating more, uh, more creative solutions to, to make it feel that you're, yeah, you want, you recognize the, you know, the, the difficulties that customers are going through. Here's a, here's a well thought through solution. So I think in that sense, um, customers would expect or would appreciate brands that are, um, you know, saying, yeah, I hear you, I understand, Here's, you know, we, we, we can work this out, you know, you don't have to, um, you don't have to go away or, or find a cheaper alternative, we, we can find a way for you to stay w- w- with us. So, so I think it's more about, um, I don't know whether people, customers are expecting that much now, because I think it's, it's, it's but, it, but because they're not expecting it, that's why it might be more powerful. But, but I think expectations are always changing regardless. And people have, you know, their, their experience of a brand in one sector could, could then color their, their expectation of, of brands in, in, in completely different ones. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an arms race. Yeah, because to, to quote Maslow's triangle of hierarchical needs, I think people are at the second stage, which is survival tomorrow mm. in that yes. respect. <clears throat> and I've known from all the management courses I've been on over the years that people's behavior changes dramatically at that level within Maslow. Mm. People are then fighting for existence. And I use that words, you know, in a a context and they're therefore their loyalties and things like that do change during that, that perspective. So I'm wondering, you know, in today's crisis of oil, petrol, food prices, gas prices and everything else, do you think that's going to make fundamental changes to people's behaviour? Or do you think as with Maslow, as they go further up the triangle, they'll revert back to their aspirations that they had maybe a year ago? I, th- I, th- I think we're seeing it in certain sectors, definitely. Uh, I mean, in, to take groceries, there's um, evidence that Lidl and Aldi are now attracting customers who would previously never dream of going to, to those stores um, and there's a, there's a there's a flight towards value as it were mm-hmm. because uh, for those um, frequent and important uh, day-to-day living purchases which are very visible to people uh, if, if your shopping basket with one is a hundred pounds and it's 70 pounds with another then that makes a big big impact when mm-hmm. when as you say from the Maslow perspective people are, are, st- are stuck on the survival mode other other sectors might be less uh, less sensitive to that, if 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 you're talking to an audience that's that's uh, more more insulated. But I think there is definitely uh, evidence that for many sectors there is a flight towards value because people are very conscious of the need to cut back, whether it be due to mortgage rates, fuel 
gas and electric, etc., that, that's causing people to think, well, hang on, the numbers don't stack up and we need to uh, find ways to minimise weekly expenditure, monthly expenditure. Now, whether that then changes um, when the, when the economy picks up, I think typically the answer is yes, it does, because then you for, for those sorts of brands and, and, and categories where it's about more more than just price, it's about quality, it's about the experience, it's about the the convenience, etc. Um, and, and frankly, you know, differentiating from um, products which are just a commodity into things which are more more desirable and branded and, and you know, the move from own, own label to brand for, to, to branded for example that tends to be that you know in, in the first instance people move they still shop in sainsbury's but they they buy sainsbury's own brand beans as opposed mm-hmm. to heinz do they then go do they then go back to heinz well i think the evidence suggests that they do when when they don't notice the price points so much anymore so i think it's about the in a sense, it's, it's about the salience of price and how important that is to people. When, you, when you've when you got um, a full bank account, you, you're not that sensitive to a 25p yeah. difference on a, on, a, on a tin of beans. When you when you haven't got that money in the bank, and then every penny counts and you're, you're hypersensitive to it. But equally, th- does that change? You know, do you revert back to that you know, more laissez-faire attitude towards pricing? Some people do, I think, and I think it's it's uh, you know to not have to worry about how much the bill's going to be when you get to the checkout is is a very different mindset uh, to someone who does have to worry and is, is having to add it up as they go along. Um, and but but people don't want to be in that mindset of having to scrimp and save all the time or worrying worrying about what the bill's going to be. Um, so I think there is an uh, an argument that if if when the economy turns around that many people will will fly away from little and oldie because they you know they they don't want to feel that that's a symbol of their distress you know, they, they want to be able to uh feel that i can i can shop where i like because i don't need to worry anymore about price points uh because there's a, that, that kind of emotional aspect to it as opposed to the purely rational and economic but we shall see we shall see, we shall see. yeah the, the future will holds a lot for us one of the f- final questions, and this is m- much more general about positive customer experience. Is there any way of demonstrating the value of a positive customer experience to the board, to those people who are actually making not the day-to-day decisions, but the strategy decisions? I remember uh, a few years ago, I was working for B&Q, and there was a story. I wasn't there at the, there at the time, but there was a story of a a senior leadership team meeting and away day they had uh, in some hotel uh, where they were discussing weighty matters for, for the course of a few hours. Um, and towards the end of the session, the facilitator uh, revealed to them that uh, behind that, what you think is a mirror, there's actually a group of your high value customers who've been watching you all day and have been uh, you know, act- actively listening to what you're saying about them and their experience of, you know, of, of the brand and so forth. And the, the initial response is one of shock. <laughs> yes. uh, but then the, 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 uh, the, the invited customers were, were invited to come in and, and join, join the meeting and have, you know, talk, talk to those senior people who, you know, not all of them were 
typically on the front line, as it were. They were they were working in head office. They weren't on a regular basis visiting stores and talking mm-hmm. to customers. And they found that that experience, once they got over the initial shock, was incredibly powerful because it gave them a whole different perspective on how they thought the customer was viewing the brand and their experience in store versus the reality uh, in in the, in the own words of the, of the customer. So in that sense, you, to, to, dem- to demonstrate the value of the uh, customer experience in the sense that it's not just a um, intellectual exercise that says, okay, well, yes, good is good. Good has to be better than bad, obviously, but I'm not quite sure what that means from a an accounting point of view, as opposed to thinking, well, actually, now I've got a deeper understanding of what customers are really experiencing and what they care about. And often what they care about are things which you probably wouldn't have realized if you hadn't spoken to them in person. Uh, I, I like to use the example of a, when, when people do customer satisfaction surveys, um, one of my biggest bugbears is that they typically ask the questions that the brand thinks is important to them. Yes, the brand. absolutely. What did you think of X, Y, Z? Yep. And it may be that, well, X y, Z, X, y, and Z were fine, but A, B, and C were awful. But you didn't ask me about A, B, and C, so you'll never know. Yep. And I think it's those hidden nuggets, those insights that you would only ever get to by actively listening to people and, and almost sort of inviting them to describe in their own terms who they are why they're there what was good what was bad what were the what things are potentially surprising about the experience that makes a big difference and often it's the uh it's the you know the micro things the small things that make all of the all of the big difference when it comes to behavioral loyalty which you know behavioral loyalty is is generally not something that customers think about that often it's you know you don't, you don't necessarily need your customers to be thinking about your brand all the time in fact you don't want them to think about your brand all the time you just want them to to behave and act and, and almost out of habit as opposed to making a considered choice um, and once you start thinking in ter- those terms about well what is it that would cause me on a on a habitual basis to choose brand x over brand y as, as my default behavior it, it's often it's the small things that are causing that behavior to happen it's not the big profound issues necessarily it could be something as simple as well i go to that particular diy store because the, the car park is is easier to get a space in yeah. or because the the checkout people are you know, not not as grumpy as they are in the one down the road you know it, it could be small things like that which you'd be surprised you know, that that can color your whole perception of, of the brand and and put you off from going there again and you know it's, it's often a very it's a very small thing that 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 stops you from being uh, behaviorally loyal so i think um, the question of how do you measure it from a economic return point of view again i would phrase out the other way around to say well you can certainly measure the negative impact of people not coming back so you know one extra store visit a year for some brands is worth a lot of money yeah so what's what's the cost of you know the opportunity cost there or the uh the 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 lost revenue that you could have got had you managed to include uh, or encourage that customer to come back again so it, often talking in terms of negatives is perhaps concentrates the minds better in terms of if you, if you don't do this, then you will lose, you know, you, you'll, you'll see churn, you'll see uh, a decline in average basket value, et cetera. 
but there is no simple equation that says that a, an investment of X amount of, of money into this broad thing called customer experience or customer service will deliver Y in, in return because the, the variables for that are so, you know, so huge. It's, it's not a simple put the money in here and out comes the answer down the balance sheet. But that's why it's important to understand where to invest that money uh, and where the opportunities to to really make a difference are. And it may be that there, there are some aspects of the experience that are great. You don't need to do any more on that. Yeah. You know, just, just carry on doing it. But there could be some where you're fixing problems that will stop people from leaving and some where you just by doing a small thing, you can make a make the difference between it, this being a an okay visit, a once once only but okay visit, to a well actually no that was more than okay, and I'm going to come back again next time. But it's about knowing uh, what those moments are, and also knowing where does fixing that for, for enough people merit the investment because it's obviously just fixing it for a small number of people uh, who are not necessarily economically valuable to you is is not a sensible investment that your finance director would would sign off on but if if there's a market for the investment and it's going to make a big difference to their behavior and you can test it and i think, I think that's an important point here is that typically we you know we, we would always recommend a small scale test to prove the hypothesis that mm-hmm. this audience if you know if you do x to this audience and improve this part of their experience as opposed to that audience or or, or a different part of the experience you will see a change in their behavior but with that of course you need to understand well given the nature of your your category what is the behavior that you'd want to see them do next and it may be for some brands if it's, if it's a infrequent purchase cycle the behavior is well you want them to sign up to receive a newsletter for example uh, or to go for a test drive or to um, talk about them on social media or through word of mouth etc mm-hmm. so it depends on what what it is the what, what the return you're looking for is for some it's, it's a very quick immediate uh, financial return you know it works or it doesn't and you can see the you can see the sales results immediately but for other categories it's, it's a longer term thing given the nature of of what they're selling so yeah it's it's not uh, there is no off-the-shelf roi model i think it depends entirely on the category of the brand and the audience you're talking about well tim time seems to have flown by i mean mm. we could probably talk for, for at least another hour on this and what i would like to do is perhaps come back to you in in a period of time maybe a couple of months to talk about the loyalty program because i think there's there's plenty of companies that are looking to be able to utilize loyalty programs and getting your insight yep. would be really really valuable but for now tim it's been a great discussion thanks a lot Thanks, John. It's been really enjoyable. 